Northanger Abbey by Jane Austen, Volume 2, Chapter 11. Previously on Northanger Abbey, we have Catherine Moreland get an invitation to go stay with the Tilneys at their home, Northanger Abbey. And before she leaves Bath, she notices and is worried about the fact that her friend Isabella is fl- is flirting a lot with Captain Tilney, even though she is supposed to be engaged to Catherine's brother James. Henry makes her feel a lot better about this, makes seems that it's not that big of a deal not to worry about it. And then they all head off to Northanger Abbey, leaving behind the Thorpes and James and Captain Tilney in Bath. They get to Northanger Abbey and Catherine's a little disappointed in it because it's all very modern and normal looking and not the creepy haunted house that she was hoping for. She goes around, she freaks herself out with a chest in her room and then a cabinet in her room and some papers she finds, but they all turn out to be nothing and she feels very silly. Henry leaves to go back to his home, Woodston, for a few days. And so, leaving the general and Eleanor to give her a tour of the abbey, goes through the grounds first, through a lot of the gardens, then into the tour of the different rooms. Though he very specifically, the general, does not show her the entire house and really wants to show her all of the new rooms that are upgraded and fancy and nice and that he's proud of. And as a reader, I think we can easily see that it is because of his vanity that he wants to show her those rooms and not other rooms. But Catherine sees it as suspicious. And she's building up a kind of conspiracy theory in her head about every little thing about the general. Everything he does, she finds suspicious. And she's thinking that maybe he did something to kill his wife. Maybe he's got her locked up somewhere and she's not really dead. She's, I don't know. She's running through all these crazy over-the-top theories. She eventually is able to go and look into Mrs. Tilney's old room. The room where she died. And she's very surprised to find it just a normal, nice, modern-looking room. And it's not creepy, and it doesn't have, like, torture devices in it, and it doesn't shout out that something bad has happened here. And again, she just feels very silly and awkward about it. So she's trying to sneak away when she runs into Henry, who's just made it home, or back to the Abbey from his house, Woodston. And they have the conversation. Henry kind of is able to get the information out of her that, you know, what she was doing, what she suspected of his father. And he, I don't know, sort of gives her this lecture about how she's, you know, how she shouldn't make such speculation. And again, she feels just really stupid. And she feels even worse to have been caught by Henry because she thinks Henry thinks that she's stupid and she wants of course Henry to like her so she runs away she's very upset she cries for a bit but when she comes down for dinner later Henry's very nice to her he doesn't bring it up anymore and he's giving her if anything more attention than he's ever given her before 
and that makes her feel a lot better, calms her down, and she's basically back to her normal self. Until she gets a letter from James, and he says that his engagement with Isabella is off, and that she is now engaged to Captain Tilney. Dun, dun, dun! There is a conversation between the Tilneys and Catherine about this new revelation. The Tilneys do not believe that their brother is going to marry Isabella Thorpe. Um, Catherine assumes that he must be because there's no reason why, you know, Isabella would throw over James if she doesn't have somebody else, basically. Um, so they kind of go back and forth, but the Tilneys are very sure that their brother is not actually going to marry Isabella. And that is where we've left off with chapter 10, and we come back for chapter 11. From this time, the subject was frequently canvassed by the three young people, and Catherine found, with some surprise, that her two young friends were perfectly agreed in considering Isabella's want of consequence and fortune as likely to throw great difficulties in the way of her marrying their brother. Their persuasion that the general would, upon this ground alone, independent of the objection that might be raised against her character, oppose the connection, turned her feelings moreover with some alarm towards herself. She was as insignificant, and perhaps as portionless as Isabella, and if the heir of the Tilney property had not grandeur and wealth enough to in himself, at what point of interest were the demands of his younger brother to rest? The very painful reflections to which this thought led could only be dispersed by the dependence on the effect of that particular partiality, which, as she was given to understand by his words as well as his actions, she had from the first been so fortunate as to excite in the general, and by a recollection of some most generous and disinterested sentiments on the subject of money, which she had more than once heard him utter, and which tempted her to think his disposition in such matters misunderstood by his children. They were so fully convinced, however, that their brother would not have the courage to apply in person for his father's consent, and so repeatedly assured her that he had never in his life been less likely to come to Northanger than at the present time, that she suffered her mind to be at ease as to the necessity of any sudden removal of her own. But, as it was not to be supposed that Captain Tilney, whenever he made his application, would give his father any just idea of Isabella's conduct, it occurred to her as highly expedient that Henry should lay the whole business before him as it really was enabling the general by that means to form a cool and impartial opinion and to prepare his objections on a fairer ground than inequality of situations. She proposed it to him accordingly, but he did not catch at the measure so eagerly as she had expected. No, said he, my father's hands need not be strengthened, and Frederick's confession of folly need not be forestalled. He must tell his own story. But he will tell only half of it. A quarter would be enough. A day or two passed away and brought no tidings of Captain Tilney. His brother and sister knew not what to think. Sometimes it appeared to them as if his silence would be the natural result of the suspected engagement, and to others that it was wholly incompatible with it. The general, meanwhile, though offended every morning by Frederick's remissness in writing, was free from any real anxiety about him, and had no more pressing solicitude than that of making Miss Morland's time at Northanger pass pleasantly. He often expressed his uneasiness on this head, fearing the sameness of everyday society and employments would disgust her with the place, wished the Lady Frasers had been in the country, talked every now and then of having a large party to dinner, and once or twice began even to calculate the number of young dancing people in the neighborhood. 
but then it was such a dead time of year. No wild fowl, no game, and the Lady Frasers were not in the country. And it all ended at last in his telling Henry one morning that when he next went to Woodston, they would take him by surprise there some day or other and eat their mutton with him. Henry was greatly honoured and very happy, and Catherine was quite delighted with the scheme. And when do you think, sir, I may look forward to this pleasure? I must be at Woodston on Monday to attend the parish meeting, and shall probably be obliged to stay two or three days. Well, well, we will take our chance some one of those days. There's no need to fix. You are not to put yourself at all out of your way. Whatever you may happen to have in the house will be enough. I think I can answer for the young ladies making allowance for a bachelor's table. Let me see. Monday will be a busy day with you. We will not come on Monday. And Tuesday will be a busy one with me. I expect my surveyor from Brockham with his report in the morning, and afterwards I cannot in decency fail attending the club. I really could not face my acquaintance if I stayed away now, for, as I am known to be in the country, it would be taken exceedingly amiss. And it is a rule with me, Miss Morland, never to give offence to any of my neighbours, if a small sacrifice of time and attention can prevent it. They are a set of very worthy men. They have half a buck from Northanger twice a year, and I dine with them whenever I can. Tuesday, therefore, we may say is out of the question. But on Wednesday, I think, Henry, you may expect us, and we shall be with you early, that we may have time to look about us. Two hours and three-quarters will carry us to Woodston, I suppose. We shall be in the carriage by ten, so about a quarter before one on Wednesday. You may look for us. A ball itself could not have been more welcome to Catherine than this little excursion. So strong was her desire to be acquainted with Woodston, and her heart was still bounding with joy when Henry, about an hour afterwards, came booted and great-coated into the room where she and Eleanor were sitting, and said, I am come, young ladies, in a very moralizing strain, to observe that our pleasures in this world are always to be paid for, and that we often purchase them at a great disadvantage, giving ready-moneyed actual happiness for a draft on the future. That may not be honored, witness myself at this present hour, because I am to hope for the satisfaction of seeing you at Woodston on Wednesday, which bad weather or twenty other causes may prevent, I must go away directly, two days before I intended it. "'Go away?' said Catherine, with a very long face. "'And why?' "'Why? How can you ask the question? "'Because no time is to be lost in frightening my old housekeeper out of her wits. "'Because I must go and prepare a dinner for you, to be sure.' "'Oh, not seriously.' "'Aye, and sadly, too, for I had much rather stay.' "'But how can you think of such a thing, after what the general said, "'when he so particularly desired you not to give yourself any trouble? "'Because anything would do.' "'Henry only smiled.' I am sure it is quite unnecessary upon your sister's account and mine. You must know it to be so, and the general made such a point of your providing nothing extraordinary. Besides, if he had not said half so much as he did, he is always such an excellent dinner at home that sitting down to a middling one for one day could not signify. I wish I could reason like you, for his sake and my own. Good-bye. As tomorrow is Sunday, Eleanor, I shall not return. He went. And, it being at any time a much simpler operation to Catherine to doubt her own judgment than Henry's, she was very soon obliged to give him credit for being right, however disagreeable to her this going. But the inexplicability of the general's conduct dwelt much on her thoughts. That he was very particular in his eating, she had, by her own unassisted observation, already discovered. But why he should say one thing so positively, and mean another all the while, was most unaccountable. 
How were people at that rate to be understood? Who but Henry could have been aware of what his father was at? From Saturday to Wednesday, however, they were now to be without Henry. This was the sad finale of every reflection, and Captain Tilney's letter would certainly come in his absence, and Wednesday she was very sure would be wet. The past, present, and future were all equally in gloom. Her brother so unhappy, and her loss in Isabella so great, and Eleanor's spirits always affected by Henry's absence. What was there to interest or amuse her? She was tired of the woods and the shrubberies, always so smooth and so dry, and the abbey in itself was no more to her now than any other house. The painful remembrance of the folly it had helped to nourish and perfect was the only emotion which could spring from a consideration of the building. Revo what a revolution in her ideas! She, who had so longed to be in an abbey, now there was nothing so charming to her imagination as the unpretending comfort of a well-connected parsonage, Something like Fullerton, but better. Fullerton had its faults, but Woodston probably had none. If Wednesday should ever come! It did come, and exactly when it might be reasonably looked for. It came, it was fine, and Catherine trod on air. By ten o'clock the chase and four conveyed the trio from the abbey, and, after an agreeable drive of almost twenty miles, they entered Woodston, a large and populous village, in a situation not unpleasant. Catherine was ashamed to say how pretty she thought it, as the general seemed to think an apology necessary for the flatness of the country, and the size of the village, but in her heart she preferred it to any place she had ever been at, and looked with great admiration at every neat house above the rank of a cottage, and at all the little chandler shops which they passed. At the further end of the village, and tolerably disengaged from the rest of it, stood the parsonage, a new-built, substantial stone house, with its semi-circular sweep and green gates, and, as they drove up to the door, Henry, with the friends of his sol solitude, a large Newfoundland puppy and two or three terriers, was ready to receive and make much of them. Catherine's mind was too full, as she entered the house, for her either to observe or to say a great deal, and, till called on by the general for her opinion of it, she had very little idea of the room in which she was sitting. Upon looking round it then, she perceived in a moment that it was the most comfortable room in the world, but she was too guarded to say so, and the coldness of her praise disappointed him. "'We are not calling it a good house,' said he. "'We are not comparing it with Fullerton and Northanger. "'We are considering it as a mere parsonage, "'a small and confined, we allow, "'but decent, perhaps, and habitable, "'and altogether not inferior to the generality. "'Or, in other words, "'I believe there are few country parsonages in England half so good. "'It may admit of improvement, however. "'Far be it from me to say otherwise, "'and anything in reason, a bow thrown out, perhaps, "'though, between ourselves,' If there is one thing more than another of my aversion, it is a patched-on bow. Catherine did not hear enough of his, this speech to understand or be pained by it. And other subjects being studiously brought forward and supported by Henry, at the same time that a tray full of refreshments was introduced by his servant, the general was shortly restored to his complacency, and Catherine to all her usual ease of spirits.
The room in question was of a commodious, well-proportioned size, and handsomely fitted up as a dining parlor. And on their quitting it to walk round the grounds, she was shown, first, into a smaller apartment, belonging peculiarly to the master of the house, and made unusually tidy on this occasion, and afterwards into what was to be the drawing-room, with the appearance of which, though unfurnished, Catherine was delighted enough even to satisfy the general. It was a prettily shaped room, the windows reaching to the ground, and the view from them pleasant, though only over green meadows, and she expressed her admiration at the moment with all the honest simplicity with which she felt it. "'Oh, why do you not fit up this room, Mr. Tilney? What a pity not to have it fitted up. It is the prettiest room I ever saw. It is the prettiest room in the world.' "'I trust,' said the general, with a most satisfied smile, "'that it will very speedily be furnished. It waits only for a lady's taste.' "'Well, if it was my house, I should never sit anywhere else. "'Oh, what a sweet little cottage there is among the trees. "'Apple trees, too. It is the prettiest cottage. "'You like it. You approve of it as an object?' "'It is enough, Henry. Remember that Robinson has spoken to you about it. "'The cottage remains.' "'Such a compliment recalled all Catherine's consciousness, "'and silenced her directly, and, though pointedly applied to "'by the general for her choice of the prevailing colour of the paper and hangings, Nothing like an opinion on the subject could be drawn from her. The influence of fresh objects and fresh air, however, was of great use in dissipating these embarrassing associations, and, having reached the ornamental part of the premises, consisting of a walk round two sides of a meadow, on which Henry's genius had begun to act about half a year ago, she was sufficiently recovered to think it prettier than any pleasure-ground she had ever been in before, though there was not a shrub in it higher than the green bench in the corner. A saunter into other meadows and through part of the village, with a visit to the stables to examine some improvements, and a charming game of play with a litter of puppies just able to roll about, brought them to four o'clock, when Catherine scarcely thought it could be three. At four they were to dine, and at six to set off on their return. Never had any day passed so quickly. She could not but observe that the abundance of the dinner did not seem to create the smallest astonishment in the general. Nay, that he was even looking at the side-table for cold meat which was not there. His son and daughter's observations were of a different kind. They had seldom seen him eat so heartily at any table but his own, and never before known him so little disconcerted by the melted butters being oiled. At six o'clock, the general having taken his coffee, the carriage again received them, and so gratifying had been the tenor of his conduct throughout the whole visit, so well assured was her mind on the subject of his expectations, that, could she have felt equally confident of the wishes of his son, Catherine would have quitted Woodston with little anxiety as to the how or the when she might return to it. Thus, chapter 11 starts with a continuation of this whole Isabella James Captain Tilney situation and Henry Eleanor and Catherine are talking about it a lot and Catherine is very surprised by the fact that Henry and Eleanor are very sure or perfectly agreed that Isabella is not having a high status or a lot of money would make it very difficult for her to marry their brother and that their father the general would not let them get married um, on that alone and wouldn't even need to know about the character concerns that they have for her which would be 
for breaking off the engagement with James. And the fact that they're so sure about this makes her worried for herself because she feels that she wouldn't be any greater or wealthier necessarily than Isabella. And I don't know that she actually honestly knows this. She doesn't really know what her portion would be, which is very odd for a girl at this time to not know what her dowry is. But I think this is kind of telling us that Catherine doesn't know what her portion is, what her dowry would be. Um, and she's thinking that if the general thinks that Captain Tilney, who's already so rich, couldn't w marry somebody who doesn't have a lot of money, what would he think about Henry? And would he think that Henry also needs to marry an heiress? Because she does know that she's not an heiress. Um, she's not rich, though she doesn't know how, exactly how poor she is. And so this is giving her some anxiety because she definitely is hoping to marry Henry. And she's worried that if the if Henry and Eleanor are correct about the general being so against Isabella because of her lack of money and connections, that, you know, he'll be against her too and that'll ruin everything. But she kind of consoles herself with the fact that the general has been so kind to her and has shown like a very special liking for Catherine for some reason. Um, and that she also hopes that because of some of the things the general has said to her about not caring about money and money not being important to him, that maybe he is misunderstood by his children. And I think that here we're seeing some of her naivete come out again because the things that she's saying the general to have said sound to me like platitudes. Like, you're not going to flat out just say, yes, I'm greedy and I need more, more, more all the time. That's not acceptable. So he's not going to say that as his flat out opinion, but that doesn't mean that's not how he actually is. And it's a little presumptuous, I think, to think that his children don't understand him, but you do. Um... Especially for someone like Catherine, who's not particularly good at understanding people. For her to get this idea that maybe she understands him more than her, his children do is a little funny to me. And she is, again, showing this propensity to believe everything everyone says. So she is going to take the general at his word when he says these platitudes that are clearly not true. And that's kind of where she ends up there. However... They were so convinced that, whatever the case, Frederick wasn't going to come and talk to the general about the situation, and that, in fact, Frederick had never been less likely to come home. So don't worry about it. And so she was able to stay without worrying about having to see Captain Tilney. And then she shows another bit of, I think, presumption a little bit of thinking that she understands character so well when we are pretty clear as readers that she doesn't so much. Um, she decides to tell Henry that he should tell the general all about the situation with Isabella and James and Captain Tilney so that the general knows the whole situation and can make his decision based on the full story. And she's surprised when Henry basically says, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Um... He says that Frederick has to confess his own folly and he has to tell his own story. And she says, but he'll only tell half of it. So 
she's basically thinking that Frederick will come and say that he's getting married to Isabella and he'll only tell the general about the fact that she doesn't have any money. She won't tell, he's not going to tell the general about this, the fact that she was, you know, blew off her engagement to James to be with him, Frederick. So, um, she wants the general to know that whole piece of it. So he says that he will only sell half of it. And Henry replies that a quarter would be enough. And again, we're seeing that Catherine thinks that the general needs to know about the behavior situation because to her, that's the bigger problem with Isabella. And Henry's very clear on, no, it's the money and the connections thing that the general's not going to like. And so I don't need to get involved at all. A few days pass. They don't hear anything from Captain Tilney. And his siblings go kind of back and forth over whether this is confirmation of the engagement that he doesn't want to tell, to tell his family about or whether it is incompatible with it. So maybe that it means that he isn't engaged and that's why he's not writing home. They can't really decide what it means that he's not in contact. And the general who doesn't know any of this story is just offended that Frederick's not writing but had no real anxiety about him. So he has no reason to suspect that there's anything going on with Frederick either way or um, in any way. So he's just mad and offended that Frederick isn't writing. And he is again showing his like over solicitousness towards Catherine by talking about how he's hoping she's having a good time here at Northanger and you know, worried that they're basically too boring and there's not enough going on to make her happy there and talks about maybe having a party and he wishes the Lady Frasers were at home but they are probably in London right now, that it's a dead time of year, nobody's in the country. Um, and so he keeps thinking of trying to think of things that they can do to keep Catherine entertained, which he really doesn't need to do because Catherine is enjoying herself quite a bit. She loves just hanging out with Eleanor and Henry. Let's be honest, she'd like Eleanor out the door. She'd like to just hang out with Henry, but she'll put up with Eleanor. I'm, okay, that's not fair. She likes Eleanor, but she's really there to hang with Henry, and we all know it. <laughs> um, so finally, the general comes up with this idea that they're all going to go visit Henry at his house at Woodston for dinner one day. And Henry asks when that might happen. And we have this, I think, rather funny conversation where the general is proving to us, the reader, and possibly even to Catherine, that his children are correct, that you can't believe the things he says, and that he says whatever he thinks is the right thing to say, quote-unquote, but not necessarily the true thing to say. Because they have this back and forth where the general says, where Hen well, Henry first says that he's going to go back to Woodston on Monday, and he'll probably be there for a couple days, so which one do you think you'll come? When do you think you'll come down? And the general just says, oh yeah, one of those days. There's no re there's no need to fix. And don't put yourself out in any way. Um, you know, don't worry about it. We'll come one of those days. It'll just be random. But, you know, not Monday, because you'll be busy Monday. That's why you're going down on Monday. And Tuesday, I'm going to be really busy, because I've got all this stuff going on. And he goes on to this long kind of paragraph about what he's got to do on Tuesday and how important it is. And so Tuesday, we're not going to go, but Wednesday, I think, Henry, you can expect us on Wednesday. 
and we'll be there early. And he goes on with the timing of it. So he starts this paragraph where he's the only one talking, saying, we're not going to fix on a time. You know, we'll just drop by for a very casual dinner one of those days. Don't worry about it. And you'll see us there uh, at about a quarter before one on Wednesday. <laughs> so he says those in the same, like, paragraph. But he starts with, don't worry about it. It will just randomly come. There's no reason to fix a specific time and day. And then we'll be there at a quarter before one on Wednesday. So it's showing again that he he doesn't flat out say things. And he winds around and he talks a lot. So Catherine is super excited about this trip to go see Woodston. Her heart was bounding with joy. But then Henry comes in a little bit later and he's ready. He's booted and great coated. So he's ready to travel. And he comes in with this philosophical thing about how you have to pay for the pleasures in this world and purchase them at great disadvantage, giving ready money to actual happiness for a draft on the future. And he goes on in this very poetic language about how his hope for seeing them at Woodston is supposed to carry him on, although so many things may happen that may that could prevent it. There might be bad weather or other things that they reasons that they don't show up on Wednesday. And because of this pleasure that they might see them at Woodstone on Wednesday, he's going to have to leave early and he has to leave now instead of waiting till Monday. So I'm assuming this is now Saturday. I think this is Saturday. Yes, because he says since tomorrow is Sunday, I won't come back. So today is Saturday. He wasn't planning to leave till Monday. But now because he knows that there's going to be a special dinner to prepare for them for Wednesday, he's got to go early. And Catherine asks, Catherine asks him why. And he just kind of laughs at her and says that he's got, that no time is to be lost in frightening my old housekeeper out of her wits. And that he's got to, so he's got to go down and make sure that they've got a good enough dinner for Wednesday. And she just is like, you can't be serious about that. And he says, yes, I do have to do that. And she just says, but the general said not to make a big deal out of it. He said not to put yourself to any trouble, that anything would do. And, you know, also that he has always such a good dinner at home. It shouldn't bother him to have just a middling one. One day is not that big of a deal. And with all he said, there's no reason to go down and make this amazing, like, flashy dinner. Because... Me and Eleanor don't need it. And the general specifically said not to. And he just answers with, I wish I could reason like you for his sake and my own. So he is saying that he wishes that Catherine was correct in her interpretation of the situation for his sake, because that meant that would mean that he would get to stay till Monday like he had originally planned to. And for the general's sake, because that would make the general a better person. In my, That's my view of reading of it anyway. That that would make the general a better and nicer person if he was not so obsessed with having, you know, this great, these great things. And so he left. And he and Catherine, in thinking it over... Saying, seeing it's a simpler operation to Catherine to doubt her own judgment than Henry's. 
and very soon obliged to give him credit for being right. Which, I think we've also seen this throughout, that whenever Henry tells her things, she very much believes everything he says is gospel. That it is all 100% true. And I don't think he's given us any reason to think that he lies to her, necessarily, or like the way his father does, or the way the Thorpes did or anything. So she can trust, she's had no reason not to trust him, and she tends to believe everything everyone tells her anyway. So that's this kind of her baseline is just believing that everyone is always telling her the truth added on to the fact that she is in love with henry means that she puts him on this pedestal even more so that he is of course right about everything and so she agrees with that and but we get then this kind of inner monologue of herself talking thinking about but the inexplicability of the general's conduct dwelt much on her thoughts so she doesn't understand still that the general is saying something that is not particularly true. So she is no, has noticed that the general is very particular about his meals and about having good food. Um, but that he should say one thing so positively and mean another all the while was most unaccountable. How were people at that rate to be understood? She again is this time is flat out like pointing out and understanding herself that some people are saying things that they don't actually mean specifically in this case the general and she is kind of in just wondering how you can understand how you're supposed to know what to believe if people don't always say the exact truth and it's again it's very childlike to not understand like that people can lie or even if not specifically lying, can omit the full truth. Um, in this particular case, the general is saying something that he thinks is the polite thing to say, but it's very clearly not the truth about himself. So he is saying that it doesn't matter, you can have just a very even basic dinner, um, you don't have to have a nice fancy one like he usually eats, but Henry is aware that if he doesn't put out a dinner to his father's standards that his father's going to be very upset and he'll hear about it later so he has to go make sure that the dinner is good enough and Catherine is just flabbergasted by this whole situation doesn't know how to understand that the general says one thing means another and thinks that who but Henry could have been aware of what his father was at to which we think as a reader I think looking at it Everybody but you, Catherine. Everybody understood exactly what the general meant but you. Yes, it was not what his words conveyed, but if you knew the general and knew what he was, know his general character, I think that we are very clearly to again see Catherine's naivete here because everyone but her understands that the general didn't mean it when he said that you could just have any basic little dinner, don't put yourself out. Poor Catherine, still not quite getting subtext, not quite getting that people don't always say the exact truth all the time. And not even maliciously. Like, the general here, it's somewhat malicious, but he, he, I think, knows that his son knows what he was saying. So he wasn't necessarily even trying to lie, but it was just, 
his way, the way he talks. He's trying to be extravagant and polite, even though it, he doesn't mean what he says. And he's been like this the whole time. And Catherine still doesn't quite get it. And this is, again, I love Catherine, but sometimes you just want to smack some sense into her. I feel like anyway. Um, but that's, that's where we're at here, that Catherine still does not understand. Despite the fact she spent this entire book meeting new people who lie to her, she still doesn't quite get that sometimes people lie. Poor Catherine. Now we have the kind of whining part of the chapter where Catherine is so sad that she doesn't get to see Henry from Saturday to Wednesday. And from Saturday to Wednesday, she's without Henry. And that was the sad finale of every reflection. And then she's worried that Captain Tilney's letter is going to come while Henry's gone. And Wednesday, she was sure would be wet, so they wouldn't be able to go anyway, and she wouldn't get to see him on Wednesday. And the past, present, and future were all equally in gloom. It's just, like, overdramatic much, Catherine? Oh my goodness. But she's just enumerating all the things, so her brother's so unhappy. She's still so sad about her loss of Isabella. And Eleanor's spirit's always affected by Henry's absence, so Eleanor's also not as happy because Henry's gone. And she goes through that she's tired of the grounds of the Abbey, and the Abbey is just any other house to her now, and it just makes her embarrassed to think about how excited what she was to see the Abbey before. And so she just kind of is going on and on about how, oh, woe is Catherine, life is horrible. Nothing fun and amusing. So sad because Henry's gone. So it's very much showing us, I think, kind of this sort of teenage romance thing that you still see of, like, being so wrapped up in your crush that, like, life is horrible because he's not there. But she moves on to thinking a little bit about the Parsonage House at Woodston where they're going and how it's going to be the most charming building ever she's ever seen. And how it's going to be perfect. You know, sort of like Fullerton, but better. Because Fullerton has some problems. But Woodston is going to be the perfect house. She's so excited. And she's just waiting and waiting for if Wednesday should ever come. And then, of course, the narrator sort of makes fun of her about that. Saying it did come. And exactly when it might be reasonably looked for. So time passed, as time usually does. And it became Wednesday at exactly the amount of time that one would expect it to take to become Wednesday. So, and Wednesday morning, Catherine is suddenly super excited and happy. And it's a nice day, so there's nothing to put off their trip. And they end up in the Chase and Four, and they head out. And they have a very agreeable drive of almost 20 miles. And they make it to Woodston, and... Catherine is ashamed to say how pretty she thought it because the general keeps apologizing for how kind of boring it is. So how flat the ground is and how small the village is. But Catherine doesn't agree with him. She thinks it's the cutest place she's ever seen. 
And she is looking with admiration at all the houses and all the little shops. And at the end of the village, she sees the parsonage house, which we learn is a new-built substantial stone house. And go up to the door where Henry is with some dogs, which I just love that he's got a Newfoundland puppy and two or three terriers. And he was ready to receive and make much of them. So it's interesting, again, that the general is so worried we see that the general is obviously still trying to promote this marriage between Catherine and Henry by how worried he is that Catherine might not be impressed by Woodston, the village in the area, because maybe then she wouldn't want to marry Henry and have to come live here. And we also get the information that this is a new built house, which since this, the general owns it, it would be his money and he would have built this house for his son, which... I'm kind of of two minds about so you could read that as being very kind to his son to build him a brand new house that is really nice to do for your child you know my parents didn't build me or buy me a house so um but so that's a really nice thing right for the father to do that he built this house and it's newly built I'm presuming for Henry um and for him to live in and so that's really nice but did the but we've also learned that the general's character doesn't seem to be particularly nice. So it seems a little maybe out of character that he would put away put out all this money to build a new house for Henry unless he was doing it for the show of it, you know, to kind of show how wealthy he was. He wanted to make sure all his children live in wealth. I don't know. It's just an interesting thing to me that doesn't quite ring true for the general unless he's got some ulterior motive. And maybe I'm falling into the same trap that Catherine was of saying that it, people are either all good or all bad. But I think Catherine's right to think that the general's not the nicest person. Um, and it seems a little out of character for him to be so nice suddenly to Henry to build him this nice new house where there would have been some sort of house there before a parsonage house would have existed so he would have had to tear down the old one and build this new one which would cost a bunch of money and I mean the general seems rich enough to not have to worry about that but I don't know it just seems a little off to me that the general would do it just to be nice to Henry so I'm thinking that he must be doing it for some sort of show-offy kind of reasons to show off his wealth um to make the to make the parsonage that he owns the fanciest and nicest parsonage house because everything he owns has to be the best. I don't know. I'd be curious if anybody has any opinions on this that wanted to get in touch. But it does feel a little out of character to me and my reading of the general for him to be quite this generous to Henry in building him a house. Then we finally get to see the house. She gets a little bit of a tour of it. And she is so, her mind is so full of just seeing Henry again that she almost doesn't see the house at first. 
And so until the general asks her about it, she had very little idea of where she was. And then she looks around and she immediately thinks that it's the most comfortable room in the world, but she's too guarded to say it. So she feels her, she's in her feelings and she's over the top in her admiration of this house because she thinks it's the best house in the world because it's Henry's house. Um, but she also is a little wary of saying too much and being too, too interested coming, coming across as a little too forward. So she's not willing to say how much she, how much she likes it. And so she's a little too cold in her praise, which kind of upsets the general because he's all about getting the praise and he wanted, he was looking forward to and wanting all of that praise in my opinion. And so he just kind of comes back, well, you can't say it's as nice as Fullerton and Northanger, but you know, for a parsonage house, it's very nice. And you know, there could be improvements, I suppose. I couldn't say no, maybe a bow window. Well, he just says bow, but I'm pretty sure he's talking about a bow window. Um, so that seems to be the only thing he can think of is maybe something that they could do to improve the room is add a bow. Though, between us, I think it looks really weird to add on a bow to a building that didn't, you know, a patched on bow. So I'm thinking adding on a bow window to a building that didn't really originally have it. And it looks like it doesn't look as a piece. It doesn't look as part of the original intent of the building. And it then says that Catherine did not hear enough of this speech to understand or be pained by it. So I'm taking this to mean that she would be upset to know that she had upset the general. She didn't want to upset the general. Um, so she would be sad if she had understood that he was being a little petulant in the fact that her praise did not meet his standards. But she didn't, so she didn't really, she wasn't really listening to him. So she didn't understand what he said. And Henry quickly, like, tries to change the subject and move it along. And then some food is brought in, and so the general is restored to his complacency. So basically, you just have to flatter him and give him some food, and and he'll, he'll be better again. So then they go around the room and the dining parlor and the grounds, and then they go through... A room belonging peculiarly to the master, so I'm assuming his study or office or something of that kind. And it was unusually tidy on this occasion. Um, so he must have, either he or his housekeeper have specifically cleaned up his study to a state that it is better than it normally is. Because he knew that this tour was coming. And then they go into what is to be the drawing room, but is currently just an empty unfurnished room. And now Catherine gives the compliments that the general wanted to begin with, saying that it's such a nice room, saying, why don't you fit it up? So why don't you have furniture in here? It's the prettiest room I ever saw. And the general is very satisfied by all this and says another thing to make us think that he is trying to promote a marriage between Henry and Catherine, saying that it, it waits only for a lady's taste. So it'll get furnished once Henry gets married. And Catherine just says, well, if this was my house, I would never sit anywhere else. And look at that, you know, beautiful view. And there's a sweet little cottage there. And it's so pretty. And the general tells Henry to make sure that the cottage stays. And says, remember that Robinson has spoken to about it, which I assume he's some sort of gardener or landscapey grounds person. 
groundskeeper or something along those lines. Um, telling him to make sure the cottage stays. So if it's in their garden, I think it must be some sort of like... Not a, It's not a cottage that people actually live in. It's like some sort of shed maybe. Or just a building that was put up for a view. Like a fake house. Put up to give interest to the views which were done then little summer houses and stuff like that um though this cottage sounds like it was maybe more of just a not like a usable building but just something to look at and this makes Catherine nervous again she doesn't want that so then he's trying to get her to say what he would what she would want as the color of the paper and the hangings. And nothing like an opinion on the subject could be drawn from her. So she's very embarrassed by all this over... Her, this thought about what she would want and her, her likes and dislikes in trying to set the house up makes her very discombobulated. And she doesn't like it and so she won't give her any opinion at all. Then they end up in the outside and we again get the idea that this is a brand new building and a brand new place because they're out. It says that they're out in the walk that Henry's genius had begun to act on about half a year ago. So he's only had been in this house for six months is what I take from this. This is a relatively new house. That's why it's not completely fitted up with furniture yet. And he's never lived there full time. Right, so he lives half the time still at the Abbey. He travels back and forth, and he's only even been doing that for six months. And she, they've got also be showing, they're also showing this by the shrubbery that is none of it's higher than the green bench in the corner, so it's all new shrubs that were planted that, um are either going to turn into hedges or a maze or something like that, but they're all very short now. Um, so it's very clear that this is all newly planted grounds and a new building. So then they saunter around the meadows a bit, down to the village, to the stables, to see some improvements there. So the general maybe built either new stables or has upgraded the stables as well. And they play with some puppies. So there's another thing... So this is maybe my own little personal thing, but the fact that they keep mentioning dogs being at Woodston makes me feel like it's very idyllic and perfect in a way that the Abbey is not. The Abbey seems very artificial and beautiful, but very kind of painted on and fake and ostentatiously wealthy and all that and Woodston seems like a comfortable home as opposed to like this grand thing that's so I don't know so rich as to be almost uncomfortable if that makes any sense whereas Woodston I'm getting the feeling of be it being much more homey and part of that is that he answers the, that Henry finds them answers the door with his dogs and now they're playing with puppies the fact that there's all these dogs around, well, I'm a dog lover, so that makes me happy just in general, but also it just makes it feel more like a lived-in, homey sort of place that the Abbey doesn't really feel like, in my opinion. Then they go back to, well, then Catherine is 
so just exceedingly surprised at how fast the day is going by and never had a day pass so quickly. So she's obviously having a very wonderful time here. They go into dinner and she notices that it is a very good dinner, much better than you would ex necessarily expect all the time, but a dinner more like what the general is used to having. And she notices that the general is not at all astonished about it or, and doesn't say anything about the fact that he's got this really grand dinner. Which I'm taking to mean that, you know, she's, she's acknowledging that Henry was correct. This is the type of dinner that he was expecting his son to provide and probably would have been upset if he had not. And his children notice that he's seems much happier with the food than he ever usually is with anyone at any table but his own and he was not complaining about things so like the melted butters being oiled i don't know what that actually means other than saying that he's not complaining about the food where they would normally expect him to be that's what i'm taking this is that they are surprised by how heartily he's eating and how little he's complaining about the food being subpar which is, I'm going to assume how he usually behaves or for food, anything other than his cook and his table. So he's being extra polite or just maybe just is so happy about his plan working between Catherine and Henry to not worry about it. In any case, everyone has a nice time. And at six o'clock after the general had his coffee... They head out in their carriage. And Catherine has finally understood that the general is trying to get her and Henry to marry. Um, which I think has been obvious to everyone else for quite some time. But she is finally realizing that how the tenor of his conduct throughout the whole visit was so gratifying. That it assured her the subject of his expectations. So it was very clear his behavior while showing her the house and talking about everything and wanting her opinion on everything has finally had her figure out that he is trying to get Catherine and Henry to marry. And if she, so her only doubt now is if she was only as sure about his the wishes of his son, then she would feel like the whole matter was you know, set in stone and done. And if she was sure that Henry wanted to marry her, then she would have quitted Woodston with little anxiety as to the how and when she might return to it, because she would be sure if that were the case that they would be married shortly and then she'd be living at Woodston. Um, so she has finally figured out that that's what the general wants. The general wants for Henry and Catherine to get married and he's trying to promote the match. And that makes her very happy because she would be very happy to marry Henry. And so now it's just waiting to see whether Henry actually wants to marry her. Which it says that she's not quite as sure or equally confident of the wishes of his son. So she's not quite as sure about what, her, what Henry wants. Though Henry has, I think to this point, been very clear that he at least likes Catherine quite a bit. And he's been very giving her, given her lots of attention. To the point where if he didn't want to marry her, especially with his father wanting to promote the match so much, I think that he wouldn't have acted this way. So I think that she is a little overly modest in that sense. Though it makes sense because 
you know, you wouldn't want to take anything for granted. And it's hard to know for sure what Henry's feeling. But I think as a reader watching his behavior, especially with the social mores of the time, it would have been very inappropriate, in my opinion, for him to be acting the way he's acting towards her. And I don't think he would unless he was a Frederick type. Um, he wouldn't act like that if he wasn't thinking about seriously marrying her. And especially, I think, because he's so well inured to his father's behavior, if he wasn't planning to go along with his father's wishes, I think he would have made that more clear, clear at least to his father, would have, though it would have caused a tension with his father, so I don't know. But I think that Catherine doesn't have all that much to worry about, about Henry's feelings. I think he's made the fact that he is interested in her, at the very least, pretty clear. And that is where we leave off chapter 11. We have now gotten to see Henry's house, which is very exciting. And I will see you next time with chapter 12. Again, we are getting so close. There's not much left. The book, we are getting very close to the end. There's only 16 chapters in volume two before we get to the end. And so that was just chapter, we just finished chapter 11. So we only have a few chapters left. Getting so close to the end of this, it's all going to roll over and end up. Um, so I'm excited about that. We'll come back next or, next time for chapter 12 and some more Isabella Captain Tilney drama. All right, I will see you then. Feel free to join the conversation. My email and Twitter are in the description. Please get in touch. Let me know what you think about the podcast or Northanger Abbey or Jane Austen in general. Love to hear your comments and I will see you next time. Mm -hmm.